Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the More Jody podcast. I'm the girl who says what everyone is thinking, unapologetically myself all the time. Trust me, I was born this way and it really can't be stopped. This season, I'm sharing powerful conversations and we go deep right off the hop. Sometimes I'm even thrown off by it. Nothing is off the table. The goal of this podcast is that you will laugh, cry, and realize that you're not alone in your struggles, your challenges, your hopes, your dreams. But I have a warning for you. These conversations will make you want to do more, dig deeper, get honest and curious with yourself, and live braver, bolder lives. Thanks for coming along for the ride. You guys, today I have Jeremy Allen on the podcast. First of all, the first male to grace the face of the More Jody podcast. And he is a grief educator. He owns a funeral home and he does all the things at the funeral home, even the makeup, which you'll find out in episode two. Um, he is here to educate us on grief and the importance of embracing tough conversations with all of our own raw and real imperfection. You guys, it's so freeing. This conversation helps you see that we're just humans doing our best and that's what we need to just keep doing and being the bravest we can be um, to further all of our relationships and help those that we love through grief and help ourselves through grief. Um, He's a father of three. He has a wonderful wife, Bailey Allen, who was on the podcast here recently. And his goal with Death Ed is to be able to show all of us and our children that it's possible to remove the fear from grief and loss without eliminating emotion. And he's unstoppable. He's going to change the world. And I'm so excited and honored to have him on the podcast today. I will let you know, this is a two-part series. There was no natural way to break up this episode. Jeremy and I could talk for days. So it is abruptly cut off. And you'll just have to wait for the rest of the good stuff next week. And I hope you enjoy it. I know you will. Something that I wanted to make sure we talked about. So I've been having conversations. I had a conversation with your wife about it, but we have these introvert problems and, um, Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of extrovert problems too, probably because we can't calm down, but, um, a lot, I'm really, I'm, I'm writing a book for teen girls and it's, it's Mm -hmm. really, um, taking a lot of like really embarrassing, like childhood stories and making it for girls like 14 to 20, um, really just looking at, you can choose anything in your life but choosing Mm -hmm. it for not doing it because you're told not to, or you're told to do it, but learning to like look into inside and learning to um, also look at people around you, like at the outcome of their choices, like your, your family members that have gone before you, lots of other people that, you know, or respect and, and really just teaching them that your life is what you make it, but you can rewrite the narrative. You can change the story and stuff like that. But um, one of the things that comes up frequently is forced politeness. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times around funerals or family gatherings, if people have social anxiety or, you know, different things, um, thankfully, we're creating a space now where people don't have to go. If they Mm -hmm. don't feel like that's a safe place for them, if they have so much anxiety about being in that public setting and grieving, we're changing that narrative too. And we're kind of flipping it that you don't have to do that if it's not okay for you, you know, and I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. glad we're going that direction. However, I wonder how that plays out in things like grief and where I feel like the people that have died during COVID, it's like, they just vanished. Like we didn't, I'm someone who literally wants to see an open casket. Like, I want to touch you. I want to kiss your face. I want to stand there for a few minutes. Um, That's me. I know a lot of people don't want that. 
Do you see a danger in this culture of, I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to, and then not processing through the grief? Or what are your thoughts on if there is danger yeah, there? I, I feel um, where a lot of this conversation becomes uh, uh, like where we can attach responsibility to it. I think like we as funeral professionals need to, to learn to do a better job serving in those environments, like, like becoming more emotionally intelligent, understanding at a higher level that we are not serving in the same environments that, you know, right. they've been doing for, for previous generations. So, you know, an example of this is for me, I define a funeral as, you know, choosing a specific day at a specific time at a specific place where we recollect in the memory of somebody that was important, you know, to, in, in order to be together. Well, like that can be a family supper. Right. Right. Okay. You know, and, and what it is, is it's learning how to say like, let's do something intentional, but you know, that, that serves families well, um, you know, and, and without, without at all, again, like I'll put this into, in, into a bigger context. Um, one of the things I really appreciated about this last 15 months of, of serving in extremely restricted environments, you know, um, and like talking about the restrictions attached to, um, provincially with, with COVID over the last 15 months is what it forced us to do as funeral professionals is, you know, we basically had to get to a place of saying, okay, well, this is what we can do right now. You know, for the most part, with a few exceptions, we can serve the immediate parts of the family. Right. Nice. Like that, you know, that we can really, we can really at a very high level, be intentional about taking care of these, these very immediate relationships, you know, the, the husband or the wife or the kids or the grandkids and creating safe spaces for them to be able to honor that relationship. Right. Right. And then what we're going to have to do, you know, secondary to that is create a, you know, a different space where, you know, that becomes more community orientated. And honestly, that, that was not a, like that completely changed my perspective of funeral service, because what I learned about that over the last 15 months was we are, you know, and again, I always say we, and, and what I'm really talking about is I, like, you know, I, again, whether it's my environments or my experiences, but like grew up in these spaces where, you know, even in our own hardship, we are, are taught to be more focused about taking care of other people than we are of ourselves right right so we have a funeral because we you know yes of course it will be good for us but like we also need to take into mind that there's all these you know siblings and nieces and nephews and and cousins and and friends and, and these people and everybody deserves a chance to say goodbye to mom or dad yeah. or grandpa or grandma right and it's just like of course like of course i support that but at what point in time did it make sense that that like that that trumped the needs of of the immediate right. parts of the family, right? And so I feel like if we could if we could change our approach and and perspective of how that conversation takes place of you know recognizing at a higher level you know things like mental health and and yeah. the dynamic of family and and being able to sit in an arrangement room and and say to these families like you know what does it look like for us to serve your family well? Oh, I love right? that. Because a traditional blanket approach of, of just asking families to choose burial or cremation, uh, it just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, like, and, and honestly, that's just final disposition. It, that part of the conversation 
of course it's important eventually, but it's, it's really irrelevant when it comes to how we serve. Yeah. And so I feel like, again, it's just like, what does it look like to serve your family? Well, meaning are there things we need to consider? You know, do we have dynamic relationships? Do we have anybody in the family that needs us to create a separate space for them to be able to come and spend time with this person or spend time with you as a family outside of this other event that we're going to do, you know, that still honors those other relationships, but stop putting so much importance on the one big event being, you know, the community funeral and start recognizing the opportunity to serve outside of that um, to make sure that if we have somebody that isn't going to attend, like to me, it would, it would break my heart if I ever found out that we, we ended up doing a funeral for the community and the cost of that was us not serving one of the grandkids. Yeah. Right. Because that, that just has such, so like what scares me about that is generational impact of, of, of grief. So, and it's one of the things that I talked about was a huge concern, is a huge concern of mine as a result of the pandemic is, you know, where we just, you know, the reality is, is I think a lot of people um, will have been served by funeral homes who, who maybe didn't take the opportunity to educate, to have full conversation, where it was a matter of bringing them from the place of death to the care of the funeral home, having the burial or the cremation take place. And that was it. Like there was no opportunity, no ceremony, like nothing took place. And the thing is, is if you've never had an experience before, that that is now what you would like. Now we just assume that's what happens when somebody dies. Right. So for generations, what will happen in those families is when somebody dies, you just get rid of them. Right. Yeah. Like Like it's like mind blowing to me. It's, it's fucking very intense it's because terrifying because again we have not learned to talk openly about yeah. grief and loss and so what what is terrifying about it is that we could really create some really hard grief uh and very complicated grief for people if they are not educated on on how to take care of, of somebody that's died right yeah. and what are their opportunities and that's not just because of covid just so we're clear that was happening before COVID, you know, where, um, where I think some complacency happened and, uh, you know, funeral service is a weird business in a space of, you know, there are a lot of people that are what I would call like disposition providers, meaning they, they don't, they're not in it to you to provide high levels of service. Like they're willing to just go and, and bring that person back to their care, uh, do the cremation and, and you like, you literally they're don't They're like an usher. To- they're like kind of beside you take the well, thing and then usher you, you actually don't even need to go to a funeral home anymore you can go online type in all the vital stats information tell them that they died at this hospital and they'll mail you the ashes like you don't even have to have human connection anymore as a part of that experience and oh, so and weird. that again it's completely weird and that was happening pre-covid just so that you know and i think you know what what's what's crazy about it here in Alberta is like those businesses are licensed exactly the same way that our our funeral home is that is providing a completely different type of service attached to when somebody dies right those are not the same experience you know at the the end result of it is a final disposition being cremation or burial but the way that we serve is not the same at all and so the the families that ended up in environments that I think lacked education. I, I don't want to say lacked service because it's, I don't want to make assumptions about other people's businesses, but if, if those experience lacked education, meaning 
people didn't actually know what their opportunities were. Uh, it just has huge potential to impact grief for generations. Because if my dad was never shown how to grieve, if my grandpa was never shown how to grieve, and nobody ever shows me how to do it, and, and more important than grief, now what we're talking about is mourning, right? Yeah. Mourning is where we actively engage and participate in our loss. And I think that's the big thing that we've been missing out on this last 15 months. And if I, like, if I don't have the opportunity to mourn, how can I ever teach my kids about it? Yeah. Right. Or if you avoid it and that's all they see, right? right. Like, yeah, I'm thank I'm, I'm not thankful that I had to experience death so much death so young, but I definitely, I know how to take care of people who are grieving. I know mm -hmm. how I, you know, I remember my mom, my mom and dad were actually phenomenal at like walking me through that over the years. And I remember them saying like, I just don't get why it keeps happening to people, Jody's friends or whatever. Right. <clears throat> and then I do think that, um, I love people really well because of it. I think mm -hmm. that, um, I don't, I'm not afraid of it. Like, you know, if someone, mm -hmm. if, if your mom dies, like I'm not, af I just show up and don't say anything. Or if I feel like, you know, I say, I'm sorry. And I hold you or hug you or whatever. But I think I have so many friends who are like, I can't go. I wouldn't know what to say. And I'm right. like, you don't know, but you just love them. You just show up mm -hmm. and you love them and you, you know, respect their boundaries and you bring them carbs and right. Like, yeah. like then, Megan, yeah. yeah. Megan divine says, show up, listen, don't fix. Yeah. Right? It's just so, it's just so, so simple, you yeah. know? And, and here's the thing about, about, you know, in those environments, very few people will remember exactly what you said to them. They'll remember how you made them feel. Totally. And by by choosing again, by choosing to sit in the discomfort, by choosing to be present, even though that you don't know what you're doing, that makes people feel good. It makes them feel supported. It makes them feel like you have their back. And so it doesn't matter what you say, right? Totally. It just, it just matters that you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I feel like I'm, I'm thankful for it. But I, one of the things I'm really thankful for is I don't fear death mm -hmm. anymore. And I don't like, I want to raise my kids and stuff. Right. Obviously like there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot with that. <laughs> That's hard for people to understand. Right. Because like saying like, I'm not afraid of death. It doesn't mean like I'm, I'm not ready to die. No, I don't uh, want to die today. Right. Yeah. No, like the, the, the reality of that is, you know, like it's, it's just a simple mortality statement of like, you know what, I've, I've, I'm close enough to death yeah. to recognize that, you know, that, that it is inevitably going to be a part of my life. You know, yeah. so for me, yeah, I'm, I would, I would think I'm in a similar position of saying like, I'm not afraid of death. Um, it's funny. I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of dying, <laughs> you know, meaning like, I don't want to die. Like I want to, you know, like you, like I want to raise my kids. I want yeah. to, you know, I want to see if Bailey and I can make it to 60 years of marriage because, you know, we push it some days, but you know, like <laughs> I like, I'm up for the challenge, right? Like we're yeah. just like. Like, yeah, like I, I really desire the opportunity. I'm just realistic that that might not be my story. Totally. And, and what, what grounds me in that is then I make decisions that are appropriate based on, on being connected, that death could be a part of my life, even though I don't want it to happen. Yeah. Right. So, so I make sure that I have like proper life insurance and I make sure that yeah. I have my wishes written down and I make sure that. I communicate with my spouse about like what would happen if, if I died, you know, like I need you to go into 35 years of mourning uh, and please don't date anybody, uh, you know, like, <laughs> right? like not at all. 
but my point is it's just like but we have these conversations and it's like it's not completely weird like it's of course it's a little bit like you know and and you know we don't talk about dating after after i've gone or anything but like but yeah like we talk about mortality we talk about about you know what happens with like what does life look like for you if like would you move would you you know would you relocate what would you know and like because whatever you decide I want you to know like I completely trust your decision decisions you would make for our kids because we've had these conversations right you know like um so yeah just just, I think mortality is such a a comfortable thing to talk about when you're able to recognize that by saying being comfortable with death, recognizing that it's a part of life isn't, you know, isn't a death wish. It is not saying I'm ready to go. It's that if I go, I know I've, I've lived in a way that, that will continue to serve my family really well. Totally. I think you love really well when you just mm-hmm. feel like I'm like, when everything happened with COVID, I was like, guys, I've always been aware. Like I could just die tomorrow. Obviously now I drive. Like I'm like, yeah. I'm yeah. always at risk. And I keep joking. I'm like, the probability of dying in a car accident is still better than the probability of dying of COVID. And I haven't changed how I drive at all. Like, I was like, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't made any changes, yeah. but I, I, I think it's funny because my father-in-law, we always joke. He's got one foot in the grave. Like I've known him for basically almost 15 years. And he's always like, well, I don't know if I'll buy that truck because I'll probably be dead. Like he's always (laughs) talked like that. He has heart disease and diabetes, but I always say to him, I'm like, but you're not dying. But he, he, he truly lives like he's dying. Like he gives his money away. He's super generous. He does all these funny things. And, and it's a funny thing. Cause I'm always like, Ken, stop pretending you're dying all the time. Like you're still here, but it is a funny thing. I feel like no matter what happens, because I feel like I experienced like literally a death every year for 12 years. And then I had friends who'd been like, I've never been to a funeral. And I was like, what? Like, how is that possible? I felt like a funeral expert by like 16. Like I was like, how have you Mm -hmm. not been to a funeral? But I think there's an element of that, not being afraid of death and then living like you're dying a little bit like that Tim McGraw song. Right. Um, And I do like, I, I, I remember yesterday, I don't know what my kids were doing. And I was like, no, 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 you kiss me goodbye. And I'm not like afraid, like if, if I died and I didn't say I love you, like they'll know I loved them. hundred percent. I feel like I give extra squeezes and I feel like I, I definitely live really intentionally, not like forsaking or not thinking that they might not be there, you know, right. like but recognizing I, I, that. hundred percent. And I'm like, I'm super aligned with that because like, I joke about this like with Bailey it's like you know like I really want you guys to be crushed if something happens to you like you know like <laughs> I want to be I want to have been you know somebody that has loved you so hard yeah that the idea of living without me is you're ruined you're right <laughs> you know I because I know I've equipped you with these other tools and you know yeah. I know like I, and because I, I was so awesome also that yeah. yeah but you know like so it's just like but like truly I like I so I try to live from this place of like yeah like it's just like being very intentional about relationship and, yeah. and you know whether it's hugs or, or kisses or, or you know you know just being very outward with love about it and and I think you know something that compliments us really well even listening to like your about your father-in-law I would say one of the biggest takeaways that I've you know taken uh, out of my careers um, <laughs> I'm going to keep doing these hand gestures of, of <laughs> uh, that nobody will ever see um but like, you know, like imagining a triangle, right? You know, and, and when I look at my life, so outside of my nuclear family being, being Bailey, Harper, Dylan, and Bowen, you know, there's three things that I require for happiness and it's time, health, and money. And all three have equal skin in the game. 
And, you know, what I've learned is that, you know, so why it's those three things. Number one, I think it's important to know anybody that says money doesn't buy happiness has money. Like they, they have access to it because it's, I, I remember being 18 and making, you know, 1,382 bucks a month yeah. and paying $700 of that into, uh, into my car insurance. Cause I'm also not a great driver, uh, you know, and living off the other 682, right? So just like you, you look at, so like putting these into perspective and what happens with this is what I've learned is that those are the three things that I require for high levels of happiness outside of the people that are most important to me. But what's really difficult about life is typically you're only giving two out of the three at any given time, right? So you're right. 18 to, to 25 or 30 years old. You typically have lots of time. You typically have lots of health. You know, you never have money to do anything, right? you know, and then it's like, I'm 36 getting to a space of it's like, you know, I'm starting to accumulate money. Uh, I've still have my health. I'm seemingly always trying to find time to do <laughs> things, right? Time. Yeah. Never have time. And then you get to say like spaces of retirement where people have time, they start to have, they have money. And then what do they start to fight with? They start to fight with their health, yeah. right? And, you know, so like if Ken's got time and money, then his health, you know, is, is he's made up his mind is questionable. Uh, is, you know, then it's just like, now you're living with two thirds again. And now where that comes full circle for me in, in these conversations is what I've learned. And I think the thing I've gotten intentional about with our life or with my life is when I have the opportunity to access all three of those things, whether it's for an afternoon or whether it's for a week right. or whether it's for three weeks, like when I have access to time, health and money, I am like running so hard towards those opportunities because I know like there's going to be incredible value in that experience, right? An example oh, of that I is like, that. because of, because of COVID, because of the slowdown, because of these things, you know, um, we were, we were fortunate that like that we maintained for the most part, we maintained our income, you know, we still had our health, you know, and what we were gifted was more time. And so like, like we're doing like a three week tour, as long as restrictions allow for this, like mm -hmm. a three week tour of Western Canada with our kids this year, where like, we're just hopping in the truck and, and uh, hooking up to the trailer, throwing the bikes on. And like, we're going to, like, we're just going to go see, like, like do like a 5,000 kilometer road trip over the course oh, of awesome. three weeks. Yeah. And so time, health and money. Right. Yeah. Whereas like before, like there were points in time in my life where it's just like, ah, should we really take that much time off? Right. Should we really spend all that money? Should we really do these things? And it's just like, you know, yes. again, you know, privileged to be in a space of saying like, it's only money at this point in time. Like it's, yeah. you know, we can regenerate more of it. It's just a tool. Um, but so, yeah, like, I just think it's, it's such a neat perspective that has come out of for sure, you know, living this life of death, you know, where I, like I've sat and made countless funeral arrangements with people that, um, you know, that, that were waiting, right? right? It's just like, they were waiting to hit that golden age, or they were waiting to have that golden amount of money in the bank or whatever it was. And, you know, once I get to this stage of my life, I will finally slow down and start to do all of these things I've wanted to do my whole life. And then that, that, ex that experience is never offered to them because they died. Which is like, and I just so heartbreaking. Like, yeah. You know, and like, I, like, I remember, yeah, it's so sad. Like, you know, that part's sad. I remember hearing this person say once at a, at a conference, they're like, if you don't fly first class, your kids will. Right. So it's just like, you could save all that money, but if you die one day, well, like they're the ones that are going to enjoy it. So like, 
have a take a piece of it you know like or yeah. just like and that's that like you know that's our approach where it's just like you know yeah. what there may be less for our kids down the road like it, we may not be able to pay for their education we may not be able to help them with the down payment you know like we're going to be very focused on having these experiences of raising our children investing into that part of their life so that you know and and I mean, we can't we can't predict the future but if that's all we're ever able to do for our kids that intentional effort i think will lead to so much more meaning than than an education that i don't think really matters <laughs> well and in, in my head even as far as like um my childhood and my time with my parents there was never money there really was like i remember my mom being like we're living on love or <laughs> she would have all these little yeah. days she yeah. Would say. yeah yeah that's right? why your dad and i spent so much time in the bedroom yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're trying to make back. Making, we're making bank. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So she would say like, we're pinching pennies or we're living on love or whatever. But I, I have no sadness over what we did or didn't do. Like none. I mean, I mean, in right. the way of, I, I have no, like the focus wasn't on money and we didn't have it, but we camped and we made the best memories and it, you know what I mean? And like, so I feel so thankful that I had that as the example of just like, it's just go do it, but you don't have it's, to be fancy when you do it or whatever. Yeah. I'm yeah. Again, like, I just feel like there's a, maybe a lot of parallels to some of the environments that we were in. And, and you know, like my dad was a teacher my mom like worked at the bank or at a drugstore, like, you know, work basically part-time. So like, we, we didn't come from, from money. Like we were well provided for always, but um, not like, a, and, and where I'm going with this is just like, I think what's really incredible about human behavior and, and watching the shift in, in generations, um, like there was no like the, there was no fear of missing out, right? Like like yeah. for us growing up, where it was just like you you didn't realize you were without because people were just so present in your life. Yeah. Like relationship wise, right? Like they were like it was everything was so intentional because there wasn't access to you know to money. I think yeah. you know our parents have to be intentional about giving us you know experiences or time because they couldn't they couldn't compensate with iPods or you know vehicles or whatever it is right like there was there was no compensation the only way for them to provide for us at a very high level was through an experience because that's all they could afford to give us right? well and when you but, think when I think of my friends that had tons of money they are not closer with their parents no, not at like all. Like my yeah. friends that had cars given to them and stuff like that, like more money, more problems. I think, yeah, um, right. you know, Notorious B.I.G. said it best or Mace yeah. or someone like that, but it's true. Yeah. And so that's where I'm like, it's such a funny perspective, but you're right. I love how COVID flipped that narrative to heck. Yeah. I'm going to take a 5,000 kilometer tour. Like what, what have I got to lose? Like, why not? Like literally, why literally. wouldn't I? Why you wouldn't know, I? Like that's, that's exactly how we approach these conversations. Like, you know, when we talk about it now, it's just like, you know what, like, you know, of course there's financial responsibility to this. Like we could probably do, you know, Bailey and I joked about like, we should do a, we should do a team up and, and do a podcast with you about like, about like the relationship business, you know, there's, there, yeah. like, there's literally so much we could talk with you about on that side of it. Cause a neat part of our story is like Bailey and I got married September 26, 2009, moved to Provost the 27th and 28th, took over the funeral home October 1st. Like we have literally been <laughs> business partners, husband and wife partners, for the entirety of our relationship um you know but where that brought us to and, and bringing it back to this conversation of like that's put us in a position to be able to do things like why wouldn't we take this trip yeah we've got we've got great staff that we trust 
We have the affordability to be able to do it. We have yeah. the time to do it because of our staff and we're healthy enough, you know, like, why aren't we, you know, taking these opportunities? And, and that's where it's like, I've said, it was like, whatever, you know, it's, this is kind of an uncontrollable amount of money. But my point is, is like, over the course of raising our kids, if we spend, mm -hmm. I have no idea, $200,000 taking, you know, these trips or doing these different things or, or whatever it was, like, it's an incredible amount of money, you know, like, um, to have those experiences. But like, to me at the other end of that, like when our kids are all grown up and they're gone and they have lives of yeah. their own, like just work an extra few years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have this freedom 55 number in my head. No. Where it's just like, I would way rather like work until I'm, you know, 70 and have yeah. experiences along the way than retire at 55 and look back and say, man, I wish I would have done more yes. while my kids were young. Right. Well, and instead of why, whenever anything comes up, I challenge people to ask mm -hmm. why not right instead of why just yeah. immediately because my husband is like my polar opposite like he is mr scarcity i'm miss abundance and like the two god is probably laughing we opened an mm -hmm. airbnb a year ago during covid oh, when everyone was like like no one will come no one's coming it is literally a hundred percent occupancy almost the entire time and amazing but he said the other day he's like um he's like i just can't imagine if we hadn't done this and, you know, but it's that thing of like, what he was like, why, you know, should we, we should have regular tenants, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, you know what? Like, why not? If it fails, so we have some furniture yeah. to sell, like, why not? Right? Right. A hundred percent. I'm like, it's just like, the thing too is, is I'm trying to be mindful of your time here, but like, is like failure is not a bad thing. No, it's the best thing. It's like, like I've never had success strictly attached to only getting things right no you know like i never would have ended up in the position that i'm in if i didn't cheat on that social 30 yeah program. and i wouldn't recommend that behavior just so <laughs> we're clear. you know i'm not going to say to my kids you know what i would i would i would definitely take some risky chances that may get you expelled um on the hope that it pays off one day right like <laughs> terrible terrible approach my point is is like you know if you're willing again like it's be willing to take risk yeah. and attach accountability to say, well, if this fails, I just have to sell the furniture. Mm -hmm. If I get caught, you know, I need to be willing to face the consequences. Totally. If, you know, like, and it's just because if you do that, it's just, you know, and, and I think that's what makes everything so low risk. Yeah. And all, you know, and, and like we could tomorrow, like sell the funeral home. We could, you know, sell our house. We could like, literally you know start over and what would make that so low risk for me is that no matter what like the experience is like i still own my experience i still own my knowledge i still own all of this property that i have that like if we had to just start over tomorrow there it wouldn't be risky at all yeah because we you know we carry all of that with us into the next thing and 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 if it doesn't work like i'm so like quick to get into something where it's like yeah, shit, let's see what this feels like. If it feels good, do it. And as soon as it doesn't feel good, let's get the hell out of here, right? Like, it's just, it's. I think things have the ability to be, that's great to put some more thought into it, which is where <laughs> Bailey serves serves this partnership extremely well. I was gonna well. say, I totally you know? disagree with that statement, but keep going. Yeah, well, you know, and, and my point is, is just like, where it's just, I, I look at it, like when I apply that into, it's like, if you're in a position to do something like- Yes, I know what you mean. Air, Right, doing an Airbnb, 
Yeah. Like literally what do you have to lose? Yeah. Like your worst case scenario is losing a couple months of rent, you know, yeah. by not having made the decision to put a long-term tenant in there instead. Right. Totally. totally. Not a big deal. Right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I look at it from that perspective of if you, if you can learn to like basically apply your why not mentality, yeah. it actually makes things become very low risk. And there, I think there are very few things that, that are, that, that have a really high price, meaning like high, high risk stuff. Um, when you realize that you are still in control at any yeah. point in time, you get to choose to stop doing something. Right. I literally feel yeah. like anything's possible, but not everything is necessary. Right? right. So if you can take, but I totally get what you mean when you said that, like, if it feels good, do it. And as soon as it doesn't get out, I'm like, how are we married? Yeah. <laughs> but I know, I know what you mean. Like try right. a new venture. And I, and it was funny. I said to my husband the other day, I won't say what it is on here because I feel like I might be manifesting a little too much, but I said, I said, I knew in my gut that that Airbnb was going to be like literally amazing. I knew it. Like you couldn't have told me it wasn't like, he was like, right. I don't know. And I was like, I don't have a shadow of a doubt, like nothing. Yeah. And, um, right. and then I, I had something I've been pursuing lately. And I was like, I don't think that thing's going to go anywhere. I, and he's like, what? I was like, I know that sounds crazy. But I said, I literally feel like this podcast is going to do something. And my book for girls mm -hmm. is going to be like, I talk to teens and stuff. Whenever I get, the, get yeah. my hands on them, I'm like so passionate yeah. about teens. I yeah, didn't yeah. even, I didn't even know that about you, which is funny. Cause I feel like I've creeped you a lot and followed you yeah. for a while. So I'm like, how, I thought it was just death education all over the place, like for everybody, which it is. But I understand yeah. now, like your internal passion and drive is, is for those younger generations. And then building strong grownups out of those well, you know, right. Um, the the kids. best way for me to serve kids right now is to take care of the people that hold them. Right. Oh, I love so that. just like, that sounds so sweet too. And so, so like that was the shift I had to make with death ed was to realize to serve kids at the highest level was to, to try to make sure that the environments that they're going to be a part of become right. very safe to have these conversations. So right. yeah, I mean, I'm listening to what you do and I'm like, it's funny again, like the manifesting and the, you know, like you just have these feelings, like I am, and you know, and it, I love having these conversations with people that are not like, like-minded. It doesn't make sense to them, but I'm like, I'm just so sure. <laughs> like I'm, I am going to at some point in time in my life, have a Tony Robbins like experience where I'm on stage clapping with 15,000 people talking about grief and loss. Like I'm oh. so sure of that that is going to happen in my lifetime. You know, I would not I doubt don't it. Attach, yeah. yeah. And like, I don't attach expectation to that. I don't attach pressure to it. I just, it's just going to happen at some point in time because I am so fired up about grief and loss because yeah. I know it holds so much value to the entire world that we live in. It's just a matter of getting people to see it, right? It's just yeah. getting it a seat at the table. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I have to say it's, that's so funny, but, and I think it's so cool when you know something, right. Cause when you believe it, you achieve it. Like it you totally look does. at the experiences, you look at the, you know, like the things that you learn from these, you know, and how they'll shape that next experience yeah. makes you much more well-rounded for huge return on investment from things that don't go the way that you thought they would. Totally. But deep in yeah. my gut, I'm like, I, I just want to talk to teens about their choices and living in their insecurities and, stepping mm -hmm. out of their upbringing, stepping out of the, you know, the limiting beliefs they have. And like that, you want to see me like come alive. Like that is what I'm literally made to do. Yeah. Love the crap out of teenagers. And if we can teach kids and teens, like stop trying to be perfect. No one ever hits the mark on that. You look at us at our age, very young, 
Uh, <laughs> so good looking. <laughs> yeah, you know, like really barely entering our prime. Um, but you look at us at our age sitting here having a very owl conversation, you know, where from the eyes of, of, of the public or from the eyes of these kids, yeah. you know, it would be very easy to attach, say, like high levels of success to to, yeah. to our environments. And what are we doing right now? We're sitting here talking about us trying to still figure out what we're going to do for the rest of our life. Yes. Right? Like I'm so, almost 40. Yeah. Right. And I'm 36, you know, and, and so again, like when I, when I scale that back, I say now you're 16, 17, 18, 19, 25 years old, you know, to these kids, like you have so much time. Yeah. So if you're from 18 to 30, if you literally like just, and not necessarily bounced around aimlessly, but if you just realize that like you could just spend that entire period of your life just getting experience, yeah, just trying new environments, trying new experiences, doing yeah. different things, you know, that at four, like, you know, when, when we turn 40 or, or 50 or whatever, however many years old, because of how much has changed about at like about life, meaning we should, we should expect to live to be 80, 90, 100 years old, we could still go out and have a full career doing the thing that we love, even if we don't start it till we're 50. Totally. Right? Totally. And, and that's, that's one of my favorite things to do in the coaching is vision. I did with one of the women who is just about to turn 50 and she's like, I've never carved my own path and I want to mm-hmm. carve my own path. Like, can you help me? And I was like, absolutely sister. I'm in it with right. you. And so often we look at these millennials and we're like, oh, they don't have a work ethic. They just want to hang out all the time. And then I'm like, how about we, how about we learn from them for a minute? Right. You know, about this or, like, constant pivoting instead of staying in a job you hate for 35 years, like our parents. Were. Yeah, like exactly. You know what? It's got benefits. I'm making oh, a reasonable wage. I'm just going to suffer nuts. through this for the next 35 years. And then it'll be fine. You know, and, the, and by that point in time, your mom and I won't be talking to one another anymore <laughs> and we'll have separate bedrooms. And, uh, you know, and we're then doing we'll just, great. Then it, and then it'll just be a waiting game. Yeah. You know, like then we'll just see who dies first. Yeah. yeah. Joy. Isn't that sound nice, right? You know, like, yeah. I, God, I, mean, so, I could do this. Yeah. That's so <laughs> funny. And, it, and it's, it's such right. a funny thing where I'm like, I thought about it a few times and even, you know, um, I can't think I did a lot of studying in the winter on um, sexual trauma and, and how that like, reshapes people's lives. And then they, you know, they get, they get, they get um, shamed and silenced into feeling really other than, and they, you mm-hmm. know, like then they end up, you know, abusing substances and overeating and all these different things that, you know, just as a way to get out of the pain and just how, right. like how that, that can shape their whole life. But if, if instead they can talk about it, if instead they can, you know, like say you have a 20 year old who's just gaming all day, you might want to be like, okay, mm-hmm. so when I talked about, you know, pivoting and failing, like maybe we need to do some more of that. Like, so I don't mean that we should give these kids a free pass, but I'm also like, let's change the narrative around sexual trauma. Right, because let's change the grief narrative let's change the choices narrative and don't right. say that just because your dad did something or just because your mom was abused and put up with it for her whole marriage means you should be the same right like, or let's i i completely agree with all that and one comment that you made that i want to add into is just like let's stop assuming what they're doing is not productive yeah we literally have kids that are making millions of dollars playing video games. We live in a world that that's a possibility. That's a plausible outcome now. So it's just like, and it's really hard for people to see that, right? You know, especially the older generations. And and 
when I say older, I mean anybody that is older than the kid that is making millions of dollars playing Fortnite. Right. 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 So it's just like, is that a realistic outcome for everybody that plays video games? Well, of course it's not. Just yeah. like it's not a realistic outcome that everybody that goes to law school is going to become a lawyer that has a very profitable career. Like it just totally. like, so, you know, scale it, you know, into and and then realize and, and are they going to do that for the rest of their lives? Again, probably not. So like, I yeah. just, I love it so much. And it's why I really enjoy talking about it, you know, and like, you know, maybe what we need to talk about is like having like some kind of retreat for these youth at some point in time, oh, <laughs> you know, we're just like, you know, like so you know, all over that. Yeah. Because it's just like, like, how do we, how do we then, you know, like now that we've put all of this work into creating safe places for you to go home to, um, mm -hmm. you know, like now let's sit down and talk about the narrative with you. Like, what does it look like to be a teenager that walked through the loss of, of multiple friends and multiple environments? You know, what does it look like to have parents that are divorced and, and you mm -hmm. lost relationship, you lost a parent to a changed relationship, or you lost access to your siblings because your parents, you know, decided to split and we went here and they went there. Right. right? You know, like, how can we reapply this knowledge into many settings that, you know, are obviously outside of this one specific thing that society is going to assume this is the only space that grief lives, right? Yeah. Oh, so. I could talk to you for like a year straight. I knew that. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. I knew as soon as I saw your videos, I was like, I could, I could talk to this guy. And I, I think I love anyone who's not afraid to talk about anything hard. Right. right. And I feel I've always felt weird because even, you know, like how I talk to my kids, like wieners going vaginas, like I'm just a straight right. teacher and I just like, I don't, you know, I want to say beat around the bush, but now I'm like, I feel like that sounds like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. What is happening here? But I, I, I feel like, I feel like literally the way God made me is that I am not afraid of hard conversations, whether it makes relationships better, whether it loves kids where they're at. And, you know, like one of my, I'm, I'm so passionate about, about growing, about being brave enough to hear young people's stories, encourage them, inspire them, normalize the feelings they have, normalize all these conversations that everyone else has made so taboo, you know, right. and, um, and telling them that following your emotions your whole life won't be the greatest thing for you. Although death Ed and my friend, Jeremy Allen says, do whatever feels good. And I think the thing for that, like even to back up what you're saying is, is, and, and to maybe speak to it just from a different perspective of, I, I really dislike hard conversation. It's not something really? I'm good at. Like personally, yeah. it's not something I'm good at. It's not something that I desire to be a part of. Um, I'm just willing to do it because I recognize that Value. the willing, the willingness to sit in, in difficult conversation, you know, Brene Brown says discomfort over mm -hmm. resentment. So I'm willing to sit in the discomfort of hard conversation because it will become the tool that removes the opportunity for long-term resentment. Right. Yeah. So because cognitively i'm very aware of the purpose of hard conversation it's what allows me to show up like bailey bailey asked me one day she's like how do you feel about us having to have this conversation i said terrible i don't want to do it at all but i'm willing you see right? the outcome so, you see the value right so so i'm willing to be a part of this conversation because i recognize there's an incredible purpose attached to it mm -hmm. and so i i will sit in the discomfort of of my emotion, or I will sit in the discomfort of, of how it's going to make me feel because I would way rather carry that than to know that we need to just live in a space that we are unable to have these types of talks. Right. 
That's interesting. So, so I, I feel like you have the perspective of doing it out of its importance. Right. And I have the perspective of, I think I get high off it now. Right. Yeah. Like, and, I think I've and, done it for so long that I feel like yeah. now, like if I have a staff member who's really gone a, a bad way or something, I'm like, we're going to do this. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I want, because I want to do it in the most loving and encouraging way possible. I think that creates the, like, how do I have this? How do I approach it? What's the conversation? But I do, I feel like it's like my favorite thing now is because I come out of it and I'm like, I feel successful when we're still in relationship and it's made the situation better. And I mean, that doesn't, isn't always the case, and, but yeah. But it, but it does like it, it, it ever at, at a minimum, it always makes it better for yourself. Yeah. And that, that's an important thing. I think that's where it's like, that's not a selfish move, you know, where you're yeah. saying, this is actually a boundary for me. I'm going to have this conversation because I know at the other side of it, I at least know where I'm going to stand like that. I will yeah. accept the things that I needed to say. And so that's where I support it, you know, and, and I think the, you know, I, I'm super transparent in these conversations because I think what people need to realize is like, we have been like, I have been working at this for like literally for years and, and whether it's with myself or whether it's with the psychologist or whether it's, you know, like, so for the people that do not get emotionally charged right. out of those environments, you know, where what I had to learn to do is recognize that cognitively. I have the ability to see the purpose of these conversations and I can walk my, you know, I can see the other side of why they need to happen. Right. And where emotionally I would sometimes not want to do it because I know it's going to be difficult for everybody right. involved. Right. And so what I had to actually get myself to a place of was being able to say, you know what, uh, you know, and actually I got there with the help of a psychologist who said, you need to trust your cognitive ability in those moments. You know what the right answer is. You need to pursue the right answer get through the emotional part of it because that's how you're going to serve yourself and the people that you love to a much higher level. Right. So for that. people that are listening, you know, where it's just like, this isn't about always emotionally being on board. It's, it's knowing that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And that's, and that goes back to doing the hard things and doing, you know, sometimes the unpopular things or doing right. what, what needs to be done and then right. having the emotional intelligence to do it with as much grace as you can muster Right. Because right? I think that the more emotional and the more emotionally intelligent you are, I think those conversations go better because I think you are empathetic to the other person, the person receiving right. the information and stuff. Right. Because you can lead with vulnerability. You can make yeah. a connection. You can build trust, which leads to a relationship. And then we're actually going to end up in an environment where we either learn from one another or I'm able to educate or I'm able to tell you about what I'm actually feeling, experiencing or vice versa. Learn that back from me. Right. Absolutely. So it just, yeah. Yeah. It's super important. Well, Jeremy, this was just a joy. <laughs> like, what do I edit out of this? I know. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. You know, and it's so funny. I'm sitting here. I'm just like, you know, I wonder if like, and I haven't had to say this yet in a podcast, but it's like, I, I got to go soon. I have a viewing I have to go to. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the beginning, you like, were like, yeah. I, maybe I'll be late. And I was like, the funeral industry is busy. That's not good. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we're just like, we're, in, we're being called to serve right now. And I was just like, okay, I have to do, you know, and it's, it's funny. Cause like, again, I just feel like this is a unique space. You won't end up in very often, but it's like, okay. So if I can get this person dressed and in their casket and their cosmetics done before the podcast, <laughs> then when I get back, I just have to set up the flowers and move the casket into the chapel. And then I'll be ready on time for the viewing. Right. It's just like, oh, yeah, like, but, you know, like, 
I want to come to Provost and I just want to like jog because I found the funeral home actually so interesting. And I'm like, someone I was telling about you and Bailey and they're like, why doesn't Bailey do the makeup? That was like, that's like genius. I was like, I think she just prefers live faces. I don't know. So like, I love doing makeup at the, in a funeral home setting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a funeral director embalmer. And part of my embalming is like doing cosmetics and like surprisingly, (laughs) and you know, I self-acclaimed really quite good at it. You know, Bailey will come and do makeup occasionally, like when it's, when it's a person that, you know, I would say requires, you know, more than a natural look, like if it's somebody that clearly wore makeup, right, when, when young people pass away or things like that, but um, yeah, no, I, we do hair, we do makeup, we, we dress people, we do, we do it all, yeah, like it's, it's, we are completely self-sufficient, so. You are such a cool guy, like such, Uh, such a cool guy, and I believe (laughs) with all my being, I really believe you will be on that stage one day, and I think whenever, whenever someone has such an important message, I think all the things come together to get that message out there, and I think more communication has to happen, so. Yeah, like if, if, some of this useless shit on TikTok can get as much mm-hmm. traction as it's getting. Like, you know, like learning how yeah. to talk to teenage teenage girls about all the stuff that they're going to walk through in their life or learning how to advocate yeah. for things like grief and loss and, and teach people a vocabulary attached to that. Like that is going to become the cool thing to do eventually. I think so. Maybe not yet. <laughs> Maybe not yet. But like, yeah. I'm all in on this idea that it is going to become the cool thing. You know, people are going to get attached to it. And, well, I want tickets to that. Yeah. So I want tickets yeah, to yeah. that event. So thank you for well, being on the podcast. On the, yeah. Keep me posted on the weekend retreat. Let me know yeah. where we're going to host it. And uh, yeah, you'll be there. All, you and Bailey will all be there. It'll yeah. be a big party. Yeah. Sweet. Well, let's, <laughs> Thanks uh, so let's, much. Yeah. Let's get back together again someday. Truly like if, just appreciated this opportunity and and uh yeah i will advocate for for bailey and i we have what's called the allen collective and it's where like that's the space where we bring our minds and our businesses and our personal lives all together and uh we talk all about the good stuff attached to life and relationship and business and sounds like that's an episode I asked her, I did say to her what would you want to talk about with jeremy together and then she went crickets on me and was like, I guess yeah. you can have us on separate. So I was like, okay, but there is a whole thing yeah. there. So check it out, theallencollective.com. It, uh, it's, a, it's a real thing. And so deathed.ca? Deathed.ca, that is the space to find us. And uh, yeah, and yeah, love it. Just And if love you die in Provost, to... this man might do your makeup. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, we'll travel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. And when you go on your trip, you should come to Vancouver Island. Oh, we do love the island. We it are. Is a great place. Where are you on the island? In where Nanaimo, but I'm from Leduc. I'm from Leduc. I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna stop recording oh. this. Jeremy, okay. this was a pleasure. Have the best day. This was the love it. Wow, how fun was that? Interviewing Jeremy Allen just an honor. I'm so excited to chat with him again. I hope you had as much fun listening as we did recording this episode. Seriously, it's just, there's nothing more powerful than someone else expanding your experience through theirs. And so I just can't wait for more learning. And definitely, I'm sure you've already followed Death Ed as well as the Allen Collective, but there is a lot to learn from this man and he's just getting started. So thanks so much for tuning in. Please share this episode with a friend, rate and review, like and subscribe, and we will be back here next week with more encouragement.